Tukua te wairua ki riri ki ngā taumata, hei arihi i a tātou mahi, me tā tātou whai i ngā tikinga a rātou mā, ki mau, ki ita, ki korea ngaro, ki pupuri, ki whakamaua, ki tīna, tīna, haumie, huie, tāikie. Kia ora kōrua, thank you for your time and energies. This is a kōrero that will flow through and um, get to somewhere and uh, hopefully it's fruitful and thought-provoking, which is really important about these times that we're in, um, as well as what creative expression brings to helping us activate spaces and activate discussions and, and progress things, right? I think we'll just open up with Whakawhanaungatanga so that people get to know a bit about us. My name is Martin Awa Clark Langdon. Uh, my whakapapa, I am from Waikato Tainui. Uh, Nati Fafakia, Nati Kairo, uh, connect down to uh, Puihakana and R- Raglan, but I'm also from Kaitahu as well. Through the Runaka down in the Puhui, Te Rau Aroha, down in Bluff. And I'm also born and raised in a place called Papa Toi Toi. Uh, Mum and dad are both school teachers, so I feel like it's funny because it's part of the rohi of um, Tainui, but growing up, Papa Toi was a different place was born and bred there and, and educated there, even to the extent where I did my initial university stuff at MSVA, Monaco School of Visual Arts, until going on to doing my master's at Elam later on. That's a bit about me, my whakapapa, and how I kind of connect into place, and I thought that might be a good way to start. Tēnā katoa. My name's Rebecca, or Hobsey. And I'm from uh, far north Queensland in an area with the settler name of Black River, um, which is Wukarukaba country. I've been in Aotearoa for about 15 years, mostly based in South Auckland, in Otara, Otahuhu, working with uh, Kiani and the whānau out of Ihomato last few years. So I belong to the white settler dynamic in Australia through my father. And I belong to the white settler narrative in Aotearoa through my mother. Yeah, and I know Martin through his time at the Monaco Institute of Technology, Kiani through the Save Our Unique Landscape. So, yeah, ngā mihi nui, kia koutou. Ora, Hamzi. Tēnā kōrua, tēnā koutou katoa. I'm Kiani, he uri a haunoi humātou. He uria hau no te waiohua ki te ahiwaru, te waiohua ki te akitai, waikato tainui, ngāpuhi ngāti pukiao me ngāti kukiarani. So I have Māori and Cook Islands whakapapa. Uh, my Māori whakapapa is, I was born and raised uh, in South Auckland in Ihumātau uh, in my papa kainga, um, surrounded by my tupuna maunga, awa moana uh, and marae also have links to uh, Rarotonga and to Mangaia in the Cook Islands. I am one of the founding cousins of the Save Our Unique Landscape Protect the Humatao campaign. I have varying connections to both the kaupapa, the marae and the arts world. <laughs> and so um, I myself am a practising and exhibiting artist I'm also a journalist, a communications specialist, a bit of a hotatu, <laughs> and a very passionate social activist. And so my whole kaupapa, um, my, my whole personal kaupapa, or my mal is what I learnt um, in meeting with one of our friends we were just talking about earlier, Tiputao Le Laulu, who said, what is your mal? What is your purpose? Um, mine is to to tell the stories of marginalised people so that we can change the narrative for future generations. And so whether that be through activism, through my arts practice, um, or through kōrero like this, um, my whole kaupapa is about how do we make the future better socially and environmentally because that's what we need it to be for our tamariki and mokopuna. Tēnā kōrua, tēnā katoe. I'll keep flying us through the conversation because we're going to keep it to a certain length, but you do make a good point around... Um, the, the key kaupapa in which we come together, these three strands, obviously uh, being whenua, um, both as an uh, umbilical cord linking us together, which is quite a lovely segue, thinking about the land and sustainability and what's important for us to keep considering and to, to strive for, which is your mark. So I'm, I might pass that over to you, Kiani. 
just to talk mm. about what does <laughs> like whenua as a word thinking about growing up on uh, Papakaina itself like I know it means lots of things to lots of people and there's been a lot of people connecting into place but that's totally a different uh perspective to what whenua means whenua when i think of the kupu whenua i think of wahine um and that's what immediately comes to mind is wahine uh it takes me back to the korero of papatuanuku and our connection to whenua through kurawaka so we've got our story of Papatuanuku, we have our story of Heneahuone, of Henetitama, we have you know, all of these Purako in our history in Te Ao Māori that connect Wahine to Whenua. Mm. Then I think of us as Wahine who within our Fare Tangata host Whenua when we're carrying our children and birthing our children. And so Whenua is exactly that. It is life, it is our bloodlines. It is what makes up who we are in our physical and spiritual being. We are intrinsically connected because without whenua, we don't we don't exist. When when you ask me about the kupu, that's what the kupu uh, holds for me. And in in terms of ihu mato, um, ihu mato is my identity. So the whenua of ihu mato is my identity. The landscape of Ihumata is my identity. And I think back to uh, a workshop that I sat in with Dr. Ihirangi Hike, who said everything has a whakapapa, every single thing, every kohatu, every rau, every rako, everything has a whakapapa back generations upon generations to this fetu or to this whatever, whatever it is. Mm. But the interesting thing he said in that discussion was wherever you're from, and the landscape that you're from and the landmarks of where you're from are reflected in your identity and your personality. Mm. And so I laugh because uh, we all live in a volcanic area that's quite explosive. Um, <laughs> and so it makes me think about our personality traits in terms of our short patience and possible temper flares and, and passion and all of that sort of stuff. But that's that's another way that I look at my connection to Ihumato because I could talk all about my upbringing here. I could talk all about running in these fields and my grandmother. And all, I could talk all about that. But if I think about um, going right back to its core of what does this whenua mean to me, it is my identity and it reflects in my personality my personality and my characteristics are reflective of this environment of Ihumato. It's funny that you talk about the volcanoes because that's what drew me to um, Ihumato in 2015. When I first met you, Kiani, at the Makoto Marae, when I came down to ask if I could make artworks about the volcanoes, and that's when I met you um, at the very start, mm. and then you told me about the Save Our Unique landscape campaign. From then on, I've been in both feet. I think it's really beautiful to hear you um, and awesome to hear you talk about whenua. And it's interesting, like, listening to you and reflecting on that as as iwi or Pākehā, that a different relationship to whenua. One that's, that I never realised how important it was to be context-specific. And I think Pākehā take it for granted that we can move through space without being context-specific or connected to land. And one of the big things I've learnt with um, being part of the um, Ihomato campaign is getting my head around as Pākehā what it means to be connected to land. But in a, I can't do it in the way that you talk about it, but to do it through um, relationships and recognising how important it is to think about where you stand as a visitor and where you stand as Manuhiri or Tauiwi or Pākehā. But, like, from the beginning when I first went down, I didn't realise that when I introduced myself, it would end up being a relationship that would be enduring right up till now. I was come to realise how important context is, like, where am I standing, why am I standing there at the moment and who am I standing beside or with or behind. I think that's really interesting to be self-reflective like that. And I, I find, because 
the, the angle that I always take within my arts practice and with the way that I operate too is that kind of bicultural, really messy gray space, which is actually really exciting, that rupture rupture the space, shift it around, know where things are landing and what your proximity is to where you are. And that actually that self-reflective sense of identity and culture is actually not embedded in a lot of our Pākehā cultures, uh, uh, peoples being whānau, um, that are Māori and Pākehā, like, it's amazing how different we move through space, like you're talking about. Even as as Māori, as, as Waikato Tainui, and, and to understand space, but to be like, to Waiahua, like, what does it mean to support others in their endeavours and in their connection to space and not try to subsume that and not try to take over that, but to see the parallel relationships and go, I think we had a conversation really early, eh, um, Rebecca, when you were doing this research around the volcanoes and I was kind of like, you've got to realise, like, they're not volcanoes or, that you know, these are like grandparents. Like, mm. if you're doing mm. something to that place, that is doing something to farm it. That, that, is, that is the legacy and it's going to forever be that way. Nothing's changing that. No amount of sales, no amount of change or land modification. Whānau is whānau. And, and that to take that relationship and to relate it to our Pākehā whanaunga is kind of like where my practice sits a lot is to go, how else do I explain this? Because I get frustrated. Because in a Māori sense, I can understand it. And then when I try to use my other family's lenses, I'm like, okay, I see where you're stumbling. I see where you're tripping up here. Like, there's got to be a way I can communicate this. I work at Te Papa Tongarewa as well. And trying to under even like the smallest thing of like don't take photographs in Manafuno. And I can be like, a lot of these carvings depict family members. If someone came to your house and took a photograph of Nana without asking, like you probably wouldn't like that, right? So just don't take photographs in here, right? Mm. And it's just that sweat. It's like use this right language. They kind of get it straight away. And I don't I could go deeper into it, but I don't need to for the sake of what we need to achieve. Our next point was about finance, so it's a good segue anyway. But like just that idea of like Fenua and Fano, Fano, Fanoi, and how we support each other. And without it, our, our sense of identity, our agency, our Tino Ranga Tiratara, our Mana Motuhaki, like all of those things are not given their due respect. And that's how I related to the Soul Campaign and to South Auckland landscape for me, just in general as well. And our people and our communities are like always at my heart, no matter where I go. And that I always want to combat those negative associations as well as those negative actions and histories that have been put upon us. You know, they're not things that we've asked for. Mm. And if you look at our histories, it's always been acted upon us. And we are now getting to an agency point where we can take back that power and shift to to, to a point where we, we get our agency back that should have always existed. Mm. And I feel like that's the resonance relationship that crosses all throughout Indigenous peoples, basically the world, but also New Zealand specifically with Māori. Yeah, whānau and community and public and the idea of support. Um, maybe you could talk to those different relationships that have been coming to the landscape has been really interesting, you know, like the kaupapa. And of, yeah, and it has been interesting seeing how different people relate to the whenua that you not feel belongs to you because we don't, none of us own whenua. Yeah. We are only the kaitiaki, but we have a different relationship from a whānau perspective. Um, and as you said, you know, that whenua is my tupuna. So continuing to protect and look after my tupuna as I would my grandparents or my parents is, is one thing. And it's been really interesting to observe how others have formed or have expressed their relationships with the whenua. When you talk about, so we talk about it from a wairua perspective saying, you know, you come to Ihumato, you can feel the wairua in the whenua, you can feel it. Mm. And if you don't feel it, you must be a cardboard box because <laughs> everybody feels it, even those that are not spiritual, even those that will class themselves as atheists will be there and go, there is something here, you can mm. feel it. And so it's interesting when you have um, non-Māori, mostly Pākehā in my experience, but non-Māori, who have come to the whenua and say, we, we stand here because when we walk this land, that's where we connect to a higher 
being or a higher space or a, another realm. And so while it might come from a Pākehā Whakaro, it's the same, it's the same. Mm. It's like, okay, well, then you're connecting in with the, the layers of tupuna that are here, whether that be whenua, whether that be actual um, koewe of our tupuna, you know, all of those different layers of tupuna. And it's it's interesting to actually hear it from a different perspective of, um, as I said, mostly Pākehā who will come and say, this is the place where I can rest and relax and um, reconnect with myself and reconnect with the environment. Or this is the place where I came to learn about the star constellations or this is, and it's, and I find that fascinating because these are all things that we do naturally as uri of this land, but that others have managed to build a relationship with the whenua that still aligns with Indigenous values. Mm. And I think that's, I mean, obviously not everybody's like that because otherwise we wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. But many of those who have come to Tautoko, a lot of their Fokaro aligns very closely with Indigenous values. And I think that's been a really beautiful element of having Māori tangata whenua and well, Māori slash tangata whenua mm. um, and non-Māori slash tawiwi working together for the same outcome. One might have a much deeper personal connection, but, but both understand or have at least enough understanding of the Indigenous values associated with protecting whenua in that sense. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because it's almost immediate when you walk the whenua, that feeling. Like, you know, David Viet talks about it as a thin veil. The veil between the past and the present is really thin mm-hmm. or the veil between the uh, spiritual world and the physical world is really thin. It's actually, it's actually like in embodied knowledge like when you're walking around and you're sitting in the grass and you're you're like on the land you can you can feel this presence there and it's really hard to explain and it's especially hard to explain from a Pākehā worldview or a Western worldview because we often don't engage in those types of conversations when we're talking about land um, we have you know that really divorced view of land where I think the fences, the stone fences at Ihumato show it really well, where all the um, settler fences are square, flat and cut across the land, whereas all the fences made by Tangata Whenua are like wiggly and curve around the land. And, And when I look at those walls, I'm like, oh, that's a really good illustration of how Pākehā relate to the land and how Tangata Whenua relate to the land. And Martin, going back to that thing you said, like for me that was a huge transformational shift to see uh, Te Pukitapapa Atanga Ahape not as a volcano but as a living, breathing ancestor. And then when you start to see the land like that, like the the pain or the marmai becomes really obvious. Like when you think of Takitaki as being, you know, over 70 metres high and is like a quarry, it's like it becomes quite immediate the reality of what we're doing to the land when you can feel it and you can, the stories that you, Kiani, tell and your, your whanau, they're very alive, the stories, and they're very easy to relate to. I just, sorry, I was just going to say when you talk about manga takitaki, you oh, talk yeah. about the stories, it's easy to sort of point people in that direction and say this is now a quarry. Mm. It's another thing to actually stand atop Otuatawa look across to Maunga Taketake and see the flesh of Papa Tuanuku. Just mm. a completely different way of looking at, oh, that's a quarry. It's actually, no, we've literally cut into the flesh of Papa Tuanuku and now that's what you're seeing. And so think about that from a what we know as a human perspective mm. and that's our tupuna and you've cut You've cut down, you've cut so much and dug out so much of our tupuna mm-hmm. that you are now cutting deeper into her flesh and this is what's left and what's been exposed. Yeah, it's very it's very immediate. It's, you can't, it's right on the nose. It's right here when you're walking the land and you're seeing it and you're listening to the stories. It's very um, immediate. The activism and the commitment to justice, it seems like a logical step. When you, as soon as you step onto the land and you listen to the stories, like this commitment to like systematic change, just seems like the logical next next step. 
I was thinking um, your tupuna are very, um, I don't think gracious is the right word, but they're very accommodating and generous. Generous was the word I was looking for. And that what they offer to people when they come to the whenua, it, it is tupuna that are creating that essence and that support, right? Like I feel like if we think of it that way, like there's so gener- there's a generosity there to what the space is providing for those willing to feel and listen. And then I feel it makes me so sad to think of the loss, value or um, potential that has been taken away. Like if this is the the amount that we get in the current state, you just uh, you have my mind to what's not there now, you know, like and that. That, that generosity that the space continues to provide to Taui mm. is must be acknowledged, right? Like that's that's massive. It's not coming from nowhere. And generosity is actually the kupu that I've been using quite a bit this week um, in describing the kaupapa of Ihumatao and the people of Ihumatao. We, as a whānau, are manaki people. We may not necessarily be the best at kapahaka, although we're pretty good. Um, we may not necessarily be the best at some of these other things, but anytime you come to Ihumata, you will leave with a full puku. You know, like mm. Alfano are the Manaki people. I was describing this kaupapa to somebody the other day who had a very business perspective of what was happening at Ihumata and what they wanted to achieve out of the story. We leaned on that kupu, generous, generosity. Um, not only is the whenua and the tupuna generous in the accommodation of everything that's been happening, but everyone who comes to the whenua is generous. They mm. are generous in their time. They are generous in their aroha. They are generous in their commitment and dedication to the kaupapa. And if we're talking about tinoranga tiratanga, that's... That is tinoranga tiratanga in practice. You know, tinoranga tiratanga isn't just a flag or isn't just a a fight or a fafai or, you know, these things that may be the way that the media portray tinoranga tiratanga to be. Tinoranga tiratanga is also generosity mm-hmm. and it is about having sovereignty over your choice to be generous and your choice to receive that generosity. You know, it's people often say to us, you are very calm, I guess are, are words they use. You're quite calm, you're quite gracious, you're quite, I mean, anyone who actually heard us behind the scenes probably wouldn't say those words. But it's about what, there are different parts of activism mm. and being an activist and what activism looks like in practice and, and there are the standing on the front lines holding the placards and that is just as valuable as standing in the back and making a cup of tea and all of that is activism and all of that is tinoranga tiratanga and all of that is commitment to justice and there are varying levels on the scale to that and I think it's it has been a really interesting huge learning for everybody because the priority is not on decolonization the priority is on indigenization because when you when you prioritize decolonization you're still centralizing colonizers whereas if you prioritize indigenization which in turn is goes hand in hand with tinoranga tiratanga e mana motuhake but you are making indigenous systems indigenous practice indigenous values the priority, the centre of the corridor. I think that that has really, we've proactively tried to do that for ourselves because we are so colonised as well. I think the indigenizing as a mechanism has the byproduct of decolonization. And so when you, like you said, if you decenter decolonization, if you target it, it's, it's pointless because to decolonize is to start with the Indigenous perspective to be the tool that decolonizes. So it's just that shift around now, like people focusing on that term and like aiming for that. It's like, aim for this, that happens. Mm. Like it's just this weird flip around where people are like so invested in decol, decol, decol at the moment that it's just like the tool to make it happen is the focus. Like it's then it mm. all becomes talk. It all becomes setting a meeting, it all becomes uh, 
strategic plan that all becomes not a tool, not an action, not, not something that's located anywhere. As soon as you are locating Māori or Indigenous people at the centre of your kaupapa, decolonisation is happening. Mm. And that, that's, yeah, like poor Ikeans and people like yourself and to, to, to try and get that across. And that's that whole logic thing I think is a really good <clears throat> thing where art can provide a counter-narrative or an opportunity to just look at it and go, does this actually make sense? And sometimes words aren't the way. Sometimes a diagram from your strategic plan ain't the way. And sometimes it's an absurd gesture or an artwork or something that makes you laugh first, but then makes you go, oh, actually, that's me. I'm actually laughing at myself. So maybe I should be changing what I'm doing. Like, it's how I felt about learning more about this, this, um, this situation. With the context of being Māori and not directly related to the history means I learned the history and I relate it to what I know and then just being like, how is this still a thing? Or how are we even at this point? And then work backwards <laughs> to what can, we, what can you do? Like, how do you support the kaupapa? How do you, how do you be of service, right? And that your manaki tanga, that um, kaupapa is to be of service, to uphold the mana of someone else, what that action is. I think it's interesting too, as, as someone who's Pākehā or Tau'iwi, to think about our relationship to the subjects that we're talking about. And one of the things that I loved or that was immediate was Iho Mato. From the moment I walked in, there was a job for me to do. There's always work to do. There's always a job. And it's that being in service, Martin, that you um, talked about. I think it was even you, Kiani, who gave me my first job. You were like, well, you, sh- you could take photos for Seoul. And so straight away, and it's that generosity of providing a, a job for me. And then that gives me a reason to be there or a reason to be on the whenua or connected to um, the kazis at Ihomato is that there's literally a job for me to do. But I think also as Toei, we, we like, you have to whakarongo, like you have to listen. And it's the active listening that's, that's super important for us, people who see ourselves as accomplices to our Indigenous brothers and sisters who are on that indigenizing pathway. And it's listening out for the jobs that you're being asked to do and not the jobs that you necessarily want to do. Active listening too is sitting with discomfort, sitting with the discomfort that sometimes things are going to be a bit tricky, Something sometimes you're not going to fully know where you, where you should be standing and trying to um, stay humble as someone who's um, manuhiri on your whenua, Kiani. And it was really interesting over the years watching, like you said, watching people negotiate those types of relationships just the not realising what job you may end up being having to do. So the job mm-hmm. of hanging out with Bibi, I, I see that as my main role right now is hanging out with Betty on Saturdays. And it's like, well, that's the job that needs to be done at the moment. <laughs> so it's like just, yeah, that active li- listening and trying to stay hum- humble and listening out for those what you're being asked to do type of thing. That's amazing as a idea around... Papakainga too, that it's a, like the concept of everyone chipping in and helping in those different parts for the, the well-being, the wairua, the haura of everyone, that everything is important and needs to be done. So frontline, you know, if there's uh, the volcano at the front needs to be there, but the lava supply needs to be uh, maintained. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's all those elements that make it possible, mate. Eh? The possibility, the generosity, all of those things. It seems like what we're describing is like this conceptual idea of it and it's kind of doesn't need a fence. Like it doesn't need the constraint, the constraints that you might know from looking at a museum diorama. It's it's this idea of connecting and being of service for the greater good of the well-being of the kaupapa basically, which is the film, which is Ihumato, which is, yeah, the rights of the land itself. And that's basically Manufinua, right? Like to be the voice, to be in the human world advocating for the, what's best for the land. 
as 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 you'll to them. So it's pretty amazing to hear all this quarter and see it kind of like flesh out that way. Like I haven't come in with any of those ideas or concepts and just been like the way you're describing it, um, Hobbsy, trying to understand all those other visitors that have come and found connections. It's like a wider port. It's like this kind of like port, but you dock in but never leave. It's really beautiful. You know, we had we had other Māori from around the country who came to Tōtoko uh, at varying stages of this campaign. So most people would know the last 12 months, um, but not a lot of people will know the last five years. And the last 12 months was only one part of the last five years. And lots of different people would come in and, and play really integral roles at certain parts, certain points in time. Um, we think about it as a waka, you know, everybody on a waka has a job and if one person gets off the waka, that's okay, the waka can still keep moving and someone else might get on and it, you might rotate and, you know, you'll have a steerer and your steerer might get tired so someone else might steer for a little bit and you've got someone at the front setting the pace and so you've, you know, you take these analogies of, again, our Indigenous knowledge and practice mm. as to how these types of things work. And I remember um, one wahine uh, coming to speak with us who spent a lot of time uh, helping us unpack the relationship, Māori, Tauiwi relationship, and thinking about not only active listening but also thinking about what haewara looks like for us, what haewara looks like for them, what haewara looks like for us together, you know, in the world together. And haewara, you know, obviously being for te Māori, your tapafa model, so your taha hiningaro tinana wairua, tinana hiningaro wairua. No. Te taha wairua, te taha hiningaro, te taha tinana, te taha. Fano. There's another one. Fano. Fano. Oh my God, what's the fourth one? Fano. Te taha And um, thinking about the. I'm getting to my point. It's just taking a little while. We, we thinking, you up there. <laughs> thinking about um, how we move through a space like this with people around us where we still lead, but we don't have to de- decolonize, teach others, because that's a burden on our hauora. Mm. And thinking about how we are already suffering from intergenerational trauma, whether it be at the forefront of our consciousness or not, we still suffer with intergenerational trauma passed on through colonisation and all those different elements of colonisation that still play on today. And that when you have people who actively listen, who understand the relationship between them and the whenua, between them and you, um, who come to contribute and who, again, are drawn in by wairua and kind of, as you said, check in and they can't check out unless their mahi's done and their mahi's never done. Um, but when you have people who actually understand all of those things, you come down to realise that it's not our job as Māori to look after you. You need to look after you and your people. So we need to look after themselves and other we so that Māori can actually heal mm. and use this process to better their own orangatanga uh, and haewara and all of and, and, and all of what that encompasses. Yeah. And so what this this process, this five-year process, and I was having this korero today um, about as a Māori, you are born into a space where you are fighting already, you're fighting. Mm. And you have a sense of responsibility to, to things that are so much bigger than you. And that is just who you are as a Māori in this world, given everything that's happened. And so because of that, to prioritise your orangatanga, to prioritise your haewara, to lift your own modi, is to understand that it's not your job to educate, to manaki, to while you might do all of these things for others, because that is who you are. It's not your job to do that. Mm. What you need is for people who can come in and understand those relationships and understand all of the things that we've actually just been talking about. Understand their tūranga waiwai, their place in that space and your place in that space. Understand how they whakarumo. Understand 
what their relationship is as a whānau to you, to the whenua, understand what whenua means, and then they take it upon themselves that when more people who are them come in, they take care of them so that we can just take care of us. Mm. And it's already quite traumatic. It is a very... It's a very traumatic experience that you hold in your cellular memory. And it's not until something triggers that you actually, you remember those who really understood what supporting your haura looks like as tawiwi. And you remember why you have to look after your own and why Modi is so important. And I think of, and I I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I'm trying to... You're making a thousand, you're making a thousand percent. I remember talking with you, Kiani, about how um, we were talking about fatigue around the Ihomato campaign. You, I think you said something about how you'd been busy and I was like, well, you never get to leave. Like you don't have that option of leaving. Whereas Toiwi, like if it gets too much, I get to leave. And like when I understood that that, Tauiwi's Pākehā constructs, we always have the option of leaving. As soon as I understood that, it helps me to understand that our role as Tauiwi is to support one another because I think we don't fully understand how our own sovereignty is tied up within this relationship. So our own well-being and our own modi and our like our, our well-being is tied up with your, with your well-being. And when you start to understand that, you start to understand your role as Toiwi and you start to understand that you're not carrying this 24-7, 365 days a year, but Māori are. And, and then you start to realise yeah. that what you do do is pretty small. The occasional having to do a workshop or having to do this or that, that's nothing in comparison. And it's also that sort of um, for Carl, like, oh, but you, you weren't, you, you've been away for two weeks or you haven't been there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but I'd never escape it. Like yeah. it's, it's constantly in you. And so whether you're physically there or not, it's still in you. Yeah. And I think about, um, Scotty Morrison describes Modi as the most beautiful way I've ever heard someone explain the kupu Maori, uh, Modi. Modi is the rope that holds your wairua to your tinana. And Modi is that, that rope. And it was a really beautiful way of thinking about Modi because when you think of a rope and you think of how ropes can, they can be strong, but they can also wither. And so, you know, you talk about, oh, this thing has lost its modi or that, you know, I need to uplift my modi. And you think of it as a rope, you're like, well, actually maybe the rope needs to need some mending or it needs some tying or it needs some whatever. And you think about the, the health of your wairua, so your, your taha wairua. <laughs> Um, you're the health of your wairua and the health of your tinana and the modi holds those things together and you can't have one without the other. I find it really interesting, because I know we're talking about people, but I find it really interesting when people say we're going to do this to restore the modi of this moana or we are going to restore the modi of this maunga. Humans can't restore modi. Modi's... Modi's way bigger than us. We can't restore Modi. We can create an environment that helps that our restore its own Modi or helps that Maunga restore its own Modi. But we are not we are not that amazing mm. <laughs> that we can restore Modi. And I think that's also another thing to just I just wanted to put put that out there because I know when people talk about Modi, they align it often with, oh, we're going to do this cleanup day because we're going to restore the Modi. And it's like Nah, you're you don't have that power <laughs> to restore Modi. <laughs> and that's not transactional that way. You yeah. Have, you have Modi to you don't have a currency of Modi to give over to make that thing better. Like you said, you mm. create the environment to energize the Modi to increase its well being as opposed to add more of it or something. And so there's quite an interesting concept that or weird conceptualization of Modi that floats around quite a bit, like that somehow yeah, it's exchangeable or that it's transactional in some kind of way. Something that popped up for me from you guys talking was that that idea of obligation. And, and man, I was just thinking about, like, growing up and things that are Māori in this country that are optional. 
And that's crazy. Like it's optional with all those obligations and options and things. It's like, that's where we sit right now. And we try to talk about Teritia Waitangi and you're like, we wonder why we're at an imbalance is because Māori is optional, but not optional for Māori. It's our constant obligation. It's our constant life. You know, when people want to talk about biculturalism, it's like you, you live and breathe it because you're Māori in a pretty damn Western constructed space. That is biculturalism. You know, like so, but for Pākehā living in these spaces, they're not. It's, it's, it's optional. It's to the side if I want to. We haven't got to a space where even Tiriti Waitangi has reached its potential. It's never got there and it's nowhere near where it needs to be. And, and, and I just worried that there's terms like post-treaty, you know, post-settlement, post-treaty settlements and all this, and you're like, there's no post-treaty. There's no post-settlement. <laughs> like, it's like we haven't even got to a point of like it's, it's set up to bind us, to, to bring us to an equated value of two different systems have to constantly negotiate each other. It's the lava lamp or it's the... The tiles are model of the yin-yang symbol constantly flowing. That's where we have to be. That's what that space is. And right yeah, now, it's totally full of white with a couple of drops of black. Yeah. Until we get to the point where there's an even flow, then we can actually get to the point of where we should have already been. And, and so for me, there's ideas of obligation, there's ideas of like where we're at right now, and we're talking about the treaty, and I'm just like, man, if I hear people say post-treaty, I'm just like, it's actually not a thing. The drop in the bucket that settlements actually are or what what they're supposed to be doing is to enable us to get to a point like in the future where we have the same agency and influence in the spaces that we should have always have had and that's mm-hmm. where I kind of feel where like it's and Ihimato is a perfect example of something that's happened that shouldn't have happened and we're still in this moment where we're like debating where we should go. It was like, it's kind of like this whole idea of like when we developed the artwork and the project was like, like it's just, it's so clear cut and straightforward for me. How do you explain that? Like, how do you explain how absurd this kind of feels? Like, yeah. like if it falls down, pick it back up. Like, that's all you've got. You, you have no other thing you can do right now. There is no other future option except for restoring rightfulness that should have already been there. And like you said, like if it's told you, if it's acted upon from one side of that, the imbalances with that person, we need to centralize the indigenous perspective and stuff, which by byproduct is decolonization. And I feel like we're basically bringing all these strands together and actively listening to this to go. This is both micro and macro. Mm. And I think that's why this is so important. Some Pākehā systems need to be shifted right now. That's where we're, we've come to a stalemate. It feels like from an outside perspective where it's like there's a hold-up, but that needs to be decolonised through. And I think even you saying, like, even you saying some Pākehā systems, that, that explains it in one sentence. They are Pākehā systems. Yeah. And they are Pākehā systems that Māori somehow have to fit into, <laughs> not systems that are made for Māori by Māori. And you talk about Te Tiriti or Waitangi and the post-settlement or settlement process. And I hate, I absolutely hate treaty settlements. I hate them. Right. They, again, are a Pākehā system. They're a Pākehā format. And Te Tiriti or Waitangi was never meant to be settled. It was meant to be honoured. And how do you honour that and live and breathe it every day when you're talking about partnership, when you're talking about what is Taonga and what does Taonga mean and how do we relate to Taonga as a nation, not just as Māori. You know, you you were talking about this Pākehā system and we're thinking about Ihumatao. Every single step to where Ihumatao is now was a breach of Te Tiriti o Waitangi, whether it was the land confiscation, whether it was... Um, a sale of land under an act that disregarded Te Tiriti o Waitangi, whether it was a purchase by a corporate that's, you know, owned by overseas investors that doesn't have the, you know, have the the idea of what a taonga is and how we protect our taonga. And so there was, 
so many different parts of it. Even back in the environment court hearing um, in 2012 when Fano said, you know, we tried this and we tried this and it didn't work. Well, again, the environment court is a Pākehā system. But <laughs> this idea around Pākehā systems is that Māori will always fail. Māori will always be at the bottom. Māori will always be at the at the bad end, the wrong end, the bullshit end, the whatever end, if we are abiding by a Pākehā system. Because Pākehā systems are set up for Pākehā, for a Pākehā way of being, for a Pākehā way of thinking, for Pākehā values, and they will never accommodate Māori unless there are Māori systems. And the thing is, you know, we talk about what's good for Māori is good for everyone. It actually is. What's yeah. good for Pākehā is not good for everyone, but what's that's good for Māori is good for everyone. That's the thing. That's the thing. Our Pākehā structures, they're not good for anyone. And least of all, Papatua Nuku. And that's what's going to bite us in the ass. unfortunately, all of us. And, like, Martin, I 100% agree the only future is an Indigenous future in terms of our environment and and surviving as as mm-hmm. people. And I just want to pick up on that, Hobbsy, because, you know, we talk about Indigenous. We talk about Indigenous people. Everyone is Indigenous to somewhere. Mm. And Pākehā have put the sort of blanket, like, I am white, Mm. Well, actually, that's your race or that's your skin colour, but that's not necessarily your whakapapa. That's not where you're from. Where Oi. are you from? Where are your tipuna from? Oi. And trace that back because I'm pretty sure that if you, as a Pākehā, not you, obviously, but, <laughs> but a Pākehā, <laughs> trace back their whakapapa, they would find how their tupuna respected whenua or awa or moana and what that looked like. And it may not be the case for everybody, but I can assure you it's probably the case for most people, Mm. is that, you know, there are obviously some sectors of our society who have been, have have had a coloniser imperial mindset for centuries. But there are always, you know, this is why I get annoyed with people who do their pepeha who are not Māori and they, they use their current kainga as the basis of their pepeha. Mm. Like, that's not where you're from. You're not from Mount Eden. Where are you from? Mm. Who is your tribe? Who is your clan? Who is your whānau? Where is your maunga? What is your awa? Like, actually go and find that out because that is your identity. That is who you are. And if we go right back to the beginning of what is whenua, whenua is us, it is our identity, it is how we talk about ourselves. And so if we go right back to what our pepeha is, each of us should actually know that. It shouldn't just be, oh, this is where I currently live, so this is now going to be my moment, my hour, my whatever, whatever. Mm. That's awesome. Um, and i got so many ideas and thoughts and work will result from this, you know, which is always the case, that creative outlet. It's how we give voice to things, but it's giving voice in the same way. Like art is an expression that doesn't need English letters to, to try and wrap us up in like the kopapa around like producing work and why do it a certain way or what are, what they're about. It's a creative outlet when like for me, it was around frustration and it was around totoko for both Hobbesy, but also the kaupapa. So for me, I mean, that might be the way that we wrap this up in terms of like here and now it's like this, putting this work here in Wellington and Te Whanganui Atara is this idea that I would love for this conversation to continue to be at the forefront of people's ideas and thoughts. They don't, it's not a, you know, there's obligations and stuff that they don't feel connected. It should be seen in lots of different ways and in different places because it's really important. And it, like I said, it's macro and it's micro. It's it's important for the whenua directly, but it's important for the nation of a bigger whole around how we are supposed to negotiate the future. Mm. And this is that tipping point of how we handle this will put us back <laughs> another hundred years or keep us on a path going forward. It's not going to progress us forward, but it's going to at least get us to continue. That's where I feel this is really important. And for the opportunity to put it in Wellington, I was just thinking like, what this conversation can go elsewhere. 
because people will find the relationship to it, to their own livelihoods, to their own lives, to their own whenua, to the ways that Tauiwi can support support other Tauiwi picking them up and saying, look, that's not what this is. And I've had to do that on social media myself with some people and just being like, that's not the case. Like, you know, but that's fine. But it, it's taxing. So I call out, shout out to anyone who <laughs> can just have that word with them themselves. Yeah. Tauiwi look mm. up at Tauiwi so that we can heal. I think that's a really good point. And I'll leave it at that for me. Like that's why this work exists and where it's going to be, how I feel I can contribute. And hopefully that makes sense with the energies that I can put forward. I thank you both uh, before we close up. Um, and just a mihi from me to the two of you for creating this work. As I have created work around ihumatao for many years, but I do it because it's mine. It's my place. <laughs> it's my home. And to see other people create work around ihumatao and interpret those stories or interpret that kōrero or interpret this whakaaro um, and create work that not only allows the kaupapa to have a bigger audience, but also gets other people thinking about their relationship to whenua, about their relationship to te ao Māori, about their relationship and knowledge of what tinoranga tiratanga e mana motuhake is. And it's not, while those are Māori kupu, the concepts of those things relate to everybody. Mm. It's really great. And I've really enjoyed being a part of this kōrero so I often work in isolation and it's nice to actually be able to share for cuddle with others. <laughs> yeah, just be able to have some of these kōrero because they, they really need to be had. And I'm no, I'm no academic. I just say what comes out of my mouth. And so it's really nice to kind of be able to do that and not feel like I have to quote some research or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that, I am going to close us with a karakia. And seeing as I quoted Scotty Morrison, I, I thought I might as well do one of his karakia. Oh, <laughs> and I quite like this one. I quite like this karakia. So, um, he inoi tātou. Tu taua mai runga, tu taua mai raro, tu taua mai roto, tu taua mai waho. Kia tau ai te mauri tū, te mauri ora, ki te katoa, haumie hui e tāi. Tāi ki e.